Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for coming today. We have a few minutes for everyone to get settled, but I figured we would uh, go ahead and get started. I'm Laura Odata with the Cato Institute, and I want to start off by thanking our friends at Mercatus for putting this together today. We're going to be hearing um, a bunch of different issues about what's going on with the online sales tax issue, so I'm excited to get everyone's questions about that later. And we also have a bunch of great publications from both Dan and Adam at the front. If you haven't gotten them later, feel free to talk to me afterwards and make sure you get copies. Starting off today, we'll have Dan Mitchell, who's a senior fellow at Cato. He is a top expert on tax reform and supply-side tax policy. Did you write this bio yourself? Is that why it says that? Excuse me? I said, did you write this bio yourself? Is that why it says that? My mother did. <laughs> Before Cato, Dan was a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation and an economist for Senator Bob Packwood in the Senate Finance Committee. Following that will be Adam Thier, who is a senior research fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University with the Technology Policy Program. His primary research interests are technology, media, internet, and free speech policy issues. And with that, I will turn it over to Dan. Well, thank you, Laura. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on a panel with Adam. We both used, used to work together at the Heritage Foundation, but then we both moved on to free market organizations uh, where we felt more philosophically comfortable. I don't think any of my friends from Heritage are out there, so the joke sort of uh, misses its, uh, its real enjoyment for me. Uh, Adam used to wear a bow tie all the time. Uh, I never could quite bring myself to do it, and apparently neither can he anymore. Uh, but what I want to do, uh, we're going to divide this up. I'm going to talk about what are the principles of, a, of good tax policy, and how does this issue of a state sales tax cartel fit into that? And then Adam is going to cover some of the details on the so-called streamlined sales tax proposal and some of the issues that that raises. Uh, first, in terms of what is good tax policy, uh, I think we all probably, at least hopefully, have some understanding that we want to have low rates, we want to avoid double taxation. We want to avoid loopholes. And then, perhaps most importantly for this issue, we want to have territorial tax systems. We know that this is very important in terms of, uh, of the national tax debate. There's all these discussions about the proper tax treatment of U.S. multinationals that are trying to compete around the world. And pretty much everybody outside of the Obama administration understands that we need to try to move to a territorial tax system. In other words, we should not be double taxing American companies who are competing for market share around the world. Why don't we want to double tax them? Because they're already paying tax where they're earning that income. So an American company trying to compete for market share in Ireland, it's paying the 12.5% Irish corporate tax. Why should it have to be taxed a second time on that income by the IRS, especially when all its foreign competitors from places like the Netherlands, Germany, Canada, et cetera, et cetera, they don't face that double tax. In other words, territorial taxation is the right idea. You can tax whatever occurs inside your borders. You can tax it at a very punitive, onerous rate. You can have bad tax policy if you want to, but do not try to tax things outside your borders. That violates one of the fundamental principles of tax policy. And that, indeed, is exactly what is going on with this whole issue of taxing the Internet. Because the question isn't whether the Internet should be taxed. The question isn't whether or not we want to have some special tax-free sector of our, of our economy while the bricks and mortar businesses are taxed. That's not the issue at all. The issue is whether or not states should try to tax things outside their borders. Every state right now has the freedom to reform their state sales tax systems, to apply them not only to goods that are sold, but also to services that are provided and to exports. Because what this issue is really about is that certain states, perhaps even all of them for all I know, have decided they don't want to tax exports. 
Well, I actually don't agree with that. I don't think that's good tax policy. They should tax everything sold inside their borders at the same rate, ideally a very low rate. They should reform their state sales taxes. This all deals with something that's called a discussion about origin-based sales taxes versus destination-based sales taxes. Very boring issue. Don't want to spend more than 30 seconds on it, but it simply deals with how do you tax transactions that cross borders. In an ideal tax system that's based on the principle of territorial taxation, where the good is sold or where the service is sold or whatever it is that's being sold, that's where the tax is levied. So if I, as a Virginia resident, want to buy something online from Maryland, Maryland should be taxing that because it's a sale that is originating in Maryland. The state of Virginia should not be trying to tax a Maryland merchant. Now, of course, Virginia does have the right, and you, for those of you who really have the misfortune of getting into this issue, you may have heard of something called the use tax. States do have the right to say, we want to tax you, Dan Mitchell, on the basis of whatever products you bought in other states. They certainly can do that, but, and a matter of fact, a lot of states do do that, but the compliance rate is probably about 5% at best. Why? Because how on earth is the state of Virginia going to know if I bought something from a Maryland uh, merchant? I remember being at a conference once where a government official from the state of Connecticut uh, was telling a story about, well, now that I'm an, an elected official, I better make sure to comply with every, uh, every single uh, uh, part of the tax code. And so he contacted the tax office and said, can you send me a use tax form because I want to make sure I'm completely obeying all the laws. And it turned out that the state of Connecticut wasn't even printing the forms because nobody ever bothered to fill them out. Well, the only reason you have things like this is because governments have this confusion. They want to have a destination-based tax system because they like the idea of, of, of exempting their exports because the idea is, oh, let's try to you know, have the government tilt the playing field so we can concentrate production in our state, and then they want to tax uh, imports. It's, it's sort of almost a, a state-based version of protectionism. But again, if you go with the right approach, which is an origin-based sales tax system, the whole issue of unfairness to brick-and-mortar companies disappears because the only reason that's, that presumed unfairness exists right now is because some states are exempting, uh, exempting their exports, as I said. So in reality, there's really three things that we're looking at, a pure origin-based system, current law, and a pure destination-based system. A lot of people don't like current law because current law has these Swiss cheese, loophole-ridden state sales tax systems, almost all of which, if not all of which, exempt exports. Uh, and that does create a little bit of unfairness for the uh, brick-and-mortar people. I personally would be surprised if more than 10% of online sales are for tax reasons. I think it's mostly for convenience. But nonetheless, brick-and-mortar people are pointing out that there is something a little bit unfair about the current system. Well, the question is, how do you address it? Do you address it by going to the destination-based system, having this sort of cartel of state governments where they all agree to collect and share inf information, or do we go with an origin-based system which is consistent with the good policy of territorial taxation? Well, Adam's going to get into a lot more of the details of what this destination-based streamlined sales tax proposal uh, would involve. Uh, but what I want to do is highlight not only the fact that the destination-based system is based on the wrong kind of tax policy, but I want to raise an issue that I'm not sure Adam's going to cover, and that's the implications for privacy. We already know that there are big problems, not only in America, but around the world, of governments mishandling and mismanaging the information that they collect on people. 
Well, imagine what would be implied by having the 50 state governments join in some cartel, and as part of this cartel, they're all supposed to collect information on anything sold by merchants in their state, so they can then share that information with other states around the country. And of course, they have to figure out, okay, we have 45 of the 50 states have sales taxes, but then you have all these local sales taxes, and you have to have this very complicated database trying to figure out what is the right tax to levy if you're gonna do a destination-based system, but you're collecting this big database of information. And so when Adam wants to order something frilly from Victoria's Secret, uh, uh, because he just likes wearing frilly things sometimes, well, what business is of the government to collect information that might then wind up getting leaked out or some hacker is going to dig into it or governments? You know, imagine the 50 different state governments, what types of arrangements that they'll make to try to safeguard this data. It's going to be a nightmare and it's going to lead to a mess. And the only reason that we face this threat, and, and I'm not even talking about embarrassing online purchases, just your credit card information. I do not trust that governments will safeguard that information. It's already enough of a hassle that we have to worry about companies that have a definite financial incentive to safeguard their data, and that turns out not to be 100% safe. I certainly don't have faith that governments, who simply want to collect all that information as part of grabbing more revenue from the economy, I don't want, I don't want to trust them at all. And so the implementation, even though if you read the streamlined sales tax proposal, they have a couple of pages, oh, we're going to protect privacy. Oh, that makes me feel so comfortable. It's sort of like the politicians in 1913 who said, don't worry about letting the government have an income tax. They'll never let it go above 10%. And we saw what happened with that. You give government a little bit of power, it means you're giving government a lot of power. You give government a little bit of an entree into your personal affairs, you're giving government a blank check to know everything about you. It's not a good idea. Let me now go ahead and turn to one last item that I think is very important. And that's the issue of tax competition. If you read about some of the state governments that are pushing hard for this idea, what are they complaining about? They're complaining that their revenue base is being poached. In other words, they assume that they have an automatic first claim to, any, to tax any economic activity by anybody that has any relationship with their jurisdiction. So you as a consumer, if you're buying things across borders, they want the ability to tax you. Why? Because they hate the thought that people might actually choose to do things in jurisdictions with lower tax burdens. Some of you who deal with fiscal policy are probably familiar with the fact that you have all these high-tax governments around the world, like France and Germany, that are trying to shut down places like Switzerland and Ireland and Hong Kong that have lower tax regimes. This is the whole international tax competition issue. It's the same principle that's at work with this sales tax cartel that the state governments want to set up. The reason, or I should be fair, one of the reasons that they are drawn to the destination-based system is because it does allow them to squash tax competition. It basically means that a citizen of a state no longer has the freedom and the ability uh, to lower their tax burdens by shopping in another state. Now, not completely. It's a not, a, not an ironclad system. You would still be able to drive across borders and you would still be able to buy something in another state. You'd probably have to pay cash for it. And you'd be able to drive back to your state. And you'd have to, therefore, then not fill out the use tax form. But maybe the government will wind up you know, doing something to make it so that you can't even do that anymore. But that's what's one of the things that's going on that disturbs me. We know that governments have a tendency to overspend. We look at our, the long-term forecast for the federal government, and we see that we are going to become Greece 
if we don't make changes. Well, the exact same thing happens on the state and local government level as well. They have made all these promises, especially to the government employee unions. They've gotten themselves in deep fiscal trouble. And instead of actually reforming their, their, uh, their bankrupt pension systems, uh, their unsustainable commitments to, for entitlements and other forms of state spending, they're trying to figure out ways. I guess uh, that's a, probably a negative reaction on my speech, uh, but they're trying to figure out ways to, to uh, in effect, extract more money uh, from the people in their state. And when you look at it from all these different angles, from the perspective of what is good tax policy, to the perspective of protecting privacy, to the perspective of trying to force governments to compete with each other so that they have to make reforms to their fiscal systems before it's too late, for all these different reasons, an origin-based tax system is much better. You can get rid of the inequity between brick and mortar and online sales very simply with an online tax system. If states want to be responsible, if they want to do the right thing, they should set up some sort of interstate compact that is voluntarily entered into without any coercive behavior on the part of the federal government in Washington. They should do something where they set up these origin-based systems, not a destination-based system which is designed to give government more power and people less freedom. Uh, with that, I'll turn it over to Adam. Thank you, Dan, and I want to thank uh, the Cato Institute for inviting me here today to, uh, to speak at this event. Uh, it's a real uh, joy to be back with my friends at Cato, where I published uh, a number of things on this issue back in the day, including a paper that's out front on the Internet tax solution, tax competition, not tax collusion, that I co-authored with my colleague uh, Veronique de who also works with me now at the Mercatus Center. Uh, it's also nice to be back here with Dan. Uh, Twenty years ago this month, I came to Washington and uh, took a job at the Heritage Foundation working just around the corner from uh, Dan in the office, and uh, he was a great mentor to me, uh, a mentor in the sense of uh, teaching me things like how to go out and drink mass quantities of beer at lunch and come back and still pretend to get work done, <laughs> and a variety of other things that we can't talk about in uh, public. But anyway, uh, so, uh, you know, it's great to be here. Uh, I want to talk, to, I want to step back in this debate. This is a very complicated issue. I've been covering this now for the better part of 15 years, uh, going back to my time at Heritage, where I published numerous papers on it, testified uh, in front of the Internet Tax Commission on this in 1998 or 9, wrote a book for Heritage on uh, federalism and interstate commerce and technological issues that related a lot to this issue. Um, this is complicated because really you have to go back to the very founding of our republic to understand why this issue is so contentious. You have to remember that America's Constitution is not really our first Constitution. We had something called the Articles of Confederation before that, as most of you know, but it did not last very long. It only lasted about, I think, 14 years. And we promptly abandoned it after we realized that uh, the downside of that uh, was that sort of untrammeled states' rights approach uh, was not going to ultimately help us breed the kind of union we're looking for, specifically the sort of commercial union we were looking for. And the real stroke of genius in our Constitution, well, there were many uh, forms of genius in our Constitution in terms of uh, human rights and so on and so forth. But the fact of the matter is, what's often forgotten is, that, forgotten is that our Constitution created the world's first free trade compact. And we have a free trade agreement among the states, thanks to the Constitution, that sets out certain guidelines about how commerce among the states will work. And this was really, again, why we abandoned the Articles, because Articles of Confederation did not have provisions that helped deal with the interstate trade disputes or tax disputes that might arise. And so the Constitution handled this in various clauses, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3, the Commerce Clause, Article 8, uh, Article 1, Section 10, uh, the Compacts Clause, variety of other provisions in uh, the Constitution dealt with this. 
So why is this important? Well, we have to flash forward a long time, come all the way up to about the 1930s, when the states decided they needed to start devising alternative revenue mechanisms during the, uh, the Depression era because of the fact that other types of revenue mechanisms were failing. So along came the sales tax. And at first it was pretty small, and it was uh, fairly small for a long time. Up around 1950, it was still only averaging about 1, 1.2 percent. But it grew and grew and grew. Today it's somewhere a combined rate of over 6 or maybe more than that. Now I'm not sure. But the fact of the matter is, is that what made it so complicated was that once the interstate market really started robustly developing in America, we started having real tensions with our sales tax because our sales tax was tra taxing goods at point of sale uh, and most transactions were taking place at a counter in a certain sto store, department store, whatever else. It's fairly easy to administer this tax system. So when interstate commerce came along and so-called remote sellers, or interstate vendors of commerce uh, came about, there were some real complications posed for our sales tax system. And many state and local governments said, well, we need to be able to trace and tax all that activity in the name of tax fairness. This really, really first became a huge problem with regards to things like catalog and mail order sales. And it was forced, uh, the courts were forced to deal with this ultimately. And along came a series of cases uh, that dealt with so-called nexus, or the, the physical presence standard by which a state would know when they could actually tax or not tax. And the court laid out some guidelines for this because Congress refused to essentially act in this front. So a body of so-called dormant commerce clause jurisprudence started to develop. And today, we're still stuck with it. Uh, we had cases starting in the late 60s, going all the way through 92, and some other decisions in between that dealt with this. But basically, the law of the land is nothing that really Congress has passed or that the states are dealing with. It's really what the courts have handed down in a handful of decisions. And so we have a situation today that is really quite a mess. Because Congress has, so far at least, decided not to act, remain fairly silent on this. The states have moved aggressively to try to find a way to equalize tax treatment in the name of tax fairness, trying to impose the same sorts of destination-based taxes on interstate vendors that they impose on Main Street uh, bricks and mortars vendors. And you've been left with this, uh, this real trouble about how we're going to do this in a fair and constitutional fashion. Now, why is it that the states can't do this? Well, the states can't do this because, of course, these companies who essentially administer the sales tax system on their behalf are obviously not in their states, or else they would have to collect. But when they do not have the sufficient nexus or physical presence to allow the states to do this, the states have sought to try to impose it anyway in a variety of ways. But the courts have, again, held the line on that. So what the, what the states really want is some sort of a blessing from Congress to essentially go ahead and find a way to impose these taxes in a constitutionally permissible fashion. They want to also do this in conjunction as part of a, uh, a multi-state compact or accord. Now, these are not unprecedented. We've had other multi-state compacts um, uh, dealing with things ranging from agriculture policy to steel policy, a number of other things, water conservation. But the really tricky thing here is, again, going back to our founding period, um, you're dealing with something that is unambiguously interstate commerce in nature. So goods that move over mail order catalog or now the internet obviously have a clear interstate component, and many of these companies are, are interstate vendors in character. The states cannot do this, at least in my personal estimation, they cannot do this without the blessing of Congress. And so we've had legislation introduced now for many years that would essentially grant that blessing to the states. Uh, the most recent bill uh, introduced by uh, Senator Durbin uh, would do this by, uh, I think it's the Main Street Fairness Act, and that would basically give the states and localities the power to do this as part of this compact. 
So, is this a good idea? Well, for many of the reasons that Dan Mitchell already uh, talked about, I think there's some real serious concerns that uh, some of us in the free market community have with this sort of an approach. My, my concern begins, uh, as the title of my paper with Veronique Forcato implied, that, you know, the first principle in this debate that people are always fighting about is tax fairness. But tax competition is every bit as important as tax fairness. And also, when it comes to tax fairness, there's many other ways to skin that cat. I mean, let's be clear. Uh, in fact, many years ago, I remember working closely with a lot of folks in the retail community trying to get them to understand that, look, we'll all come to bat for you in state capitals and help you fight burdensome taxes that you pay that others do not. Because let's be clear, there is a bit of an unfairness here in the sense that mainstream vendors are currently paying some significant tax burdens, and maybe some other players are not. But that does not justify and by any means necessary approach to getting this job done or achieving fairness, especially when other constitutional principles are at stake or tax competition is a value that we care about. And therefore, I think the better approach would be for retailers to understand that ultimately what you're doing when you endorse a multi-state tax accord for the purposes of getting taxes imposed on the new kid in town, the internet, is you're probably shooting yourself in the foot in the long term. Because, of course, you yourself may be a vendor of uh, interstate commerce in other ways, or you may be setting up a, a bit of a Frankenstein monster that you think you can control or at least keep in check, when in reality there might be better ways to go about dealing with this problem. That hasn't, of course, won the day. I think many, many of my friends in the retail community believe that it's still more sensible or maybe just practical to go ahead and find a way to impose taxes on the Internet by any means necessary, including through some sort of a simplified, so-called simplified sales tax project. Which brings me to the simplified sales tax project. Now, I don't usually bring props to events, but I wanted to make clear what simplification looked like. So there's 200 pages of it, uh, and it's really not quite as simple as one would hope. Um, in the name of simplification, uh, we've had this uh, battle going on for some time now about how to define all these things, and there's a, there's a huge appendix to this that sometimes makes for great comedic reading. Uh, when I read th through things about all the different ways people can define clothing and clothing equipment or essential clothing or protective equipment and fur, fur clothing, uh, sports and recreational equipment. There's a lovely section in here on uh, dietary supplements that uh, goes on for many pages, and my personal favorite on uh, disaster prepar uh, preparedness fastening supplies with a great section on bungee cords, rope, and duct tape that goes on for many pages. So, you know, I, I guess we're getting more simplified. I don't know. Maybe we are, maybe we're not. But why are we doing this? The states have spent years doing this. And in theory, I guess I could believe that if it was truly simplified, that there would be some advantages to that. Of course, really quick, let me make one point here. We talk a lot about federalism in this debate and states' rights, but the states do get a lot of rights under this sort of a system if they're given them by Congress. But what's important is that we have to understand federalism also goes right down to the local level in this country, and the localities kind of get screwed. In fact, in, in the, uh, the Durban bill, it very specifically says that uh, anybody who's a part of this, that a member state may choose its individual tax base, provided, however, that all local jurisdictions in that member state with respect to which the tax is imposed or collected shall have a common tax base identical to the state tax base of that member state. So apparently states' rights only go so far. It goes as far as the state borders, and then the localities are kind of screwed. You're coming along whether you like it or not. So in a world where we want to have vigorous interstate tax competition, we also have to understand that's local tax competition, and localities should, should have their say, shouldn't they? Um, but clearly they won't under this kind of an approach. But anyway, back to the point about simplification. 
For many of the reasons Dan pointed out, simplification is not all it's cracked up to be, and it really could end up running counter to the goal of tax competition. Because what the states are essentially doing here is creating what I have uh, labeled in my, my papers for Cato and, and for Mercatus, they're setting up essentially a de facto tax cartel. Now remember, going back to the period of the founding of the sales tax, the sales tax was never a federal tax. Many of us are happy about that fact. But the fact of the matter is, is that because it's not a federal sales tax, the states are allowed to essentially set their own rules, and they have because there hasn't been a problem with them doing so, hasn't conflicted too violently again with the interstate marketplace. Here it most certainly would with this sort of a plan. And when it does, Congress has certainly within its rights to actually set some ground rules for it, and the Durban bill would do some of that. But at the end of the day, it would grant a great deal of power to the state and local governments, but specifically to state governments, through this multi-state tax compact, to set these rules of the road for the interstate marketplace. And I really do fear that that sort of a model um, really has dangerous long-term implications for taxpayers and for interstate commerce in general. Because you're establishing uh, a mechanism where of local control for something that is, again, unambiguously interstate in nature. So what's the alternative? Well, Dan's already talked about the one that I favor uh, the most. It's really just a change in the sourcing rule. Uh, let's be clear. I, I've, we've talked about this as a destination-based tax system. But when you think about it, as Dan already pointed out, when you go into a store today and you buy something and you pay a tax, it's really an origin-based system. Nobody asks you, where are you taking that pack of gum you just bought and that we taxed you for? Where are you going to chew that pack of gum? That's not done. Where are you going to read that book? So at the end of the day, our current sales tax system is really, in a sense, an origin-based system. And that's all we're saying it should be for interstate sales. The way you would accomplish this is you would have a very simple fix. You don't need 200 pages to do this. You don't need 40-page bills. You need a two-page bill, a two-page bill that would essentially say what the sourcing rule is for the taxation of interstate sales or remote commerce in this context. Now, what would that rule be? And this is a little bit tricky, but you could basically say it's a principal place of business rule. It's not an incorporation rule. You can't just say, well, I'm incorporated in Delaware, and Delaware has no tax, so thank you very much. No. It has to be something to do with your actual substantial physical presence, where the, your primary headquarters is at in this world, where most of your employees are at. Whether or not you would have other states uh, ha uh, have sufficient um, principal place of business rules that they also would qualify to tax is, is a good debate. But the bottom line is, is that this would create a very pro-competitive tax system, so much so that States who hear this say, well, this is crazy. This is a race to the bottom. Everybody will be competing vigorously on taxes, and that will really hurt our ability to collect them. You know, to which I respond, well, I'm sorry. I'm not going to shed many crocodile tears over that one. I think that's a good thing. This is, a, as, as computer engineers would say, this is a feature, not a bug. And so what we want to do, I think, with federal policy is to be careful that, A, we don't cede too much authority to the states as they go about trying to find a way to get congressional blessing to tax interstate sales. But if we do cede any authority to them, we cede the authority that is, in, is consistent with our Constitution and consistent with sound principles of tax competition, which is to say probably an origin-based rule. And again, it's not the only system, but I think it's the most practical one. Many years ago, people forget that uh, Senator Hollings introduced when he was still in the Senate a bill that would have imposed a federal sales tax on the Internet. I think it was 5%. And then somehow found a way to remit it back through some sort of a revenue-sharing formula. Well, that would be a real mess, and we'd start a whole new federal tax base and system to try to collect taxes for this purpose. I hope we don't go down that path, but it's certainly another way to handle it. And, of course, we probably should mention, I'm surprised Dan didn't, that, you know, the states could try to get their 
profligate spending problems under control and try to constrain uh, their spending so that we don't need to collect as many taxes. But I know that's a losing proposition these days as well. So let me just be clear and end on this note that, you know, in the name of fairness, we have to be careful about how we approach tax policy in this country because there are many other values at stake. For some of us, tax competition is the higher and more important of these values. And, you know, we, we should be careful, I think, here in, in, in Washington at the congressional level to understand that while Washington has taken away many powers from the states unjustly and usurped many powers it should not have, the one unambiguous power under our Constitution that our founders got exactly right was the power to oversee commerce to ensure uh, free and fair trade among the states. Let's keep it that way. Thank you.